There's so many things in the history of esoterica, in religion and mythology, that once you look at them from this perspective, they take on a whole different meaning. A lot of things have happened since the last time we talked that were scary at the time to think about, and now they've happened and we're used to it. I mean, we really do already have the New World Order. The yeah. federal government is part of a global government, and they're just trying to impose it on us now. It's a question of, are the American people stupid enough to go along with that when they don't have to? I think the part of the problem, we're all waiting for it to happen. It's happening now, and there's nothing to wait for. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Banal of America Audio, with your host, Tim Banal. No commercials, no subscriptions, no network, no rules, and at the end of the day, my friends, no comparison. This is BOA Audio Season 8, back coming at you live, and we've got an awesome guest on the line here tonight. I'm a little concerned, because every time I read her stuff or talk to her on the show, after we're done, I always feel like I'm playing checkers and she's playing chess. I mean, that is how intense her research is. It blows me away. I cannot believe it. I always, I'm try, I always feel like I'm trying to catch up. So it's going to be a fun interview. It's going to be a challenging one. I'm talking about, of course, prolific esoteric writer Tracy Twyman back on BOA Audio. She's the author of The Merovingian Mythos, Solomon's Treasure, Mind Control, Sex Slaves, and the CIA, Money Grows on the Tree of Knowledge, and she's got a big event coming up. The Mysteries of Baphomet Cruise. That's going to happen this April. So we're going to talk about that and a whole bunch more. Welcome back to the show, Tracy. Thanks for taking part in the live aspect of BOA Audio. Tracy, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, okay. I can hear you now. You know what? Uh, sorry about that. I think I had the show playing on in another window on my computer and I'm talking <laughs> to you on Skype. These and things I was, happen collage going okay i thought you had you were like doing a clyde lewis thing that there was this collage of my voice and your voice and and i was wondering when it was all going to end and and as it turns out it was just it was just my fault so sorry about that <laughs> no worries no worries i'd like to hear that collage now it sounds good not, it was really trippy i thought you had worked really hard on this so you would you had edited all these things together <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Well, no, there was a nice little musical intro, but I wasn't involved in all that. Um, okay. <laughs> so you got a lot of projects. I don't know how much of my intro you heard, but uh, you know, I, I mentioned all this stuff you've done in the past, this upcoming event. Uh, you know, last time we talked, it was April 25th, 2011. I looked it up. That's when you were talking about money grows on the tree of knowledge. So two and a half years since we heard from you last. What have you been up to? You know, what's been going on at Camp Twyman? Well, you know, I mean, uh, it's been in my life when I've uh, gone through a lot of transitions. And so I have a lot of projects I'm working on, but, uh, and as you mentioned, um, 
got a, a cruise dedicated to the topic of Baphomet coming up in a uh, companion book, perhaps even two. I haven't decided if I'm going to split it into two books or not yet. But we got these these uh, things that are com- going to come out before then, so the cruise is in April next year. Um, but me, I mean, you know, I guess I don't mind. Uh, I'll get a little bit personal just to let people know why the heck haven't I not have I not done anything, produced anything new to purchase in the last two and a half years. I uh, I switched husbands. I, I left the one husband who, you know, I loved dearly and helped me a lot with uh, all my projects throughout the years. We had known each other my whole life. But I, I um, we had problems. I went, uh, I, I had an, another man. I, I uh, left the one husband to go to the other one. And unfortunately, the first husband ended up killing himself. Whoa. So I did that. I cut out there for <laughs> a minute. That. And I just got, whoa, oh, my God. I'm sorry. Yikes. Yeah, so there was that. I mean, I had to deal with that, and then I got remarried, and then I had a baby with the new guy. And, uh, you know, this is all new stuff for me. So I've been dealing with all these personal crises and things like that. And uh, But all the while, I have been working on a new project related to Baphomet. I've been working on with this one for quite some time. i got to say that, like, Baphomet is probably the biggest topic that I've dealt with in my whole life, I think it's kind of the sum of everything that I've been dealing with my whole life. And so this should be, you know, the magnum opus of of my career so far when it comes out. And, wow. you know, I'm not uh, setting it up too much uh, for failure there, but that's what I'm expecting <laughs> of yeah, myself really anyway. That... <laughs> interesting, interesting. So, well, I was going to say, you know, you, you've been talking about Baphomet for quite some time throughout your career. Right, right. And uh, But I've just... You know, okay, I think we mentioned, we talked about this before in previous mm-hmm. interviews, that I do kind of have a knack for getting into things right when, you know, a couple of years before they really explode onto the the consciousness of the public. And uh, I don't know if I, I mean, I'm sure I have some influence there, and I also think I just happen to tap into, the, you know, the zeitgeist right before yeah, it emerges. Either. So uh, anyway, Baphomet, you know, yeah, I talked a little bit about this this topic in Merovingian Mythos because, um, you know, that uh, that book was a lot about the Priory of Zion and the Knights Templar, and um, of course, you know, Baphomet is the the idol or the demon that the Knights Templar were accused of worshiping and and uh, supposedly was behind all of their success, their financial success. So. And I, I think one of the most interesting things I said about it in that book was I said, you know, um, that maybe, okay, uh, some of the characters in that that whole saga with the Priory of Zion, uh, Berenger Saunier out in uh, Le Chateau, France, some of these people, I think, I think that they uh, were tapped into Baphomet. I think that, that Baphomet is like this... Um, uh, I think Baphomet, I guess I said it... Uh, like this, I think that all of Western esoterica, the Western occult tradition, really comes from this Baphomet tradition. You know, it, all of these groups like the OTO, the Rosicrucians, Freemasons, they all trace themselves back to the Knights Templar. And uh, they all seem to have this, what I would call the influence of Baphomet. It's like a Gnostic tradition. Yeah, uh, as I've shown in my writings, that's all tied to Baphomet. 
Okay. All right. See, this is what I'm talking about when I introduced you. You're you're playing chess here. I've been playing checkers all these years uh, as I get more into this talking to you. What is, for the people at home and me <laughs> who are unaware, give me the thumbnail on Baphomet because it really uh, – like I was looking at your, at your page here about the cruise – and you call it a – you say you're, talking, you're going to talk about the history and meaning of the meme known as Baphomet. But then later you sort of talk about him as a, as a god of sorts. So w- what exactly is this thing in a way? I know it's kind of an abstract concept in a lot of ways, but, you know, help enlighten me. Yeah, okay. So let's start off with what we know. You know, historically, this word pops up uh, around 1307 – or a little bit before then, when um, the Knights Templar are about to take their big fall. They were um, heresy and, and uh, engaging in, in you know, um, pagan rites, I guess you would call it, by ex-members who had, you know, were dissatisfied or had been kicked out of the order. And uh, so, you know, they went to the authorities and said, hey, these guys are, you know, they Supposedly, it's a Christian order, right? You know, created by the Pope or chartered right. by the Pope, uh, and they're and they're um, you know and they're messing around with some other god. Right, right. They're for, at the forefront of the Crusades. You know, they are the the face, public face on the Crusades, and yet uh, you know, here it comes out that they're actually involved in all of these sort of uh, satanic rites, and it really sounded like the way it was described it was like exactly what you would expect a satanic ritual to be. They're uh, supposedly kissing the behind of a goat and involving, like, homosexual orgies. Uh, some of the stories said there were babies that were aborted and sacrificed, blood drank, things like that. Jesus. Yeah. And, um, and then, but the, the really specific thing, because these, these stories first start coming out with, uh, like I said, uh, dissatisfied members. And then, then they get arrested, you know, um, and accused of all of these crimes. And then people start getting tortured, and they come out with even more confessions. And the thing yeah. is that you see continuity with all of these stories. I mean, they all kind of come together. They all kind of uh, tie each other. And, uh, so, and they all have to do with this. So many of them mention this, this uh, idol that supposedly was in all of the secret temples where these rituals are happening because you get the impression like there's probably one big idol that is at maybe the Templar headquarters and then there's probably different versions of it based on the same idea in all of the like little little temples all over the place with little little idols. And what it is is that they say this thing is called Baphomet and uh, it's a head of some sort. So it's either a skull or like a mummified head is what it, it sounds more like. Um, and sometimes they said that it had a goat's face or uh, that it had three faces or two. So, you know, there's always something a little bit different about it. And they usually describe it as being terrifying to look at. This is the most horrible thing you could look at. And then that supposedly, you know, they, the, I guess, priests of these rituals were talking to this head and receiving wisdom from it. And then they would touch it with cords that were wrapped around their bodies and they would receive power from it. Oh and God. the confessors say, because, you know, at the time, I mean, this is probably the real reason for the downfall of the Templars is 
were full force in Europe at that point. They had the money. They had invented right, it was like a political. Banks. It was like a political takedown. Right, yeah, because they because they had all the all the um, crown heads of Europe indebted to them with this. Yeah. Uh, you know, they had invented the fake credit system uh, of fractional reserve lending. They had invented checking, and so they got all the heads of Europe indebted to them. And even the Pope is afraid of them at this point because they have so much power. And so, yeah, that's probably why they uh, were taken down. But it's also, according to the the knights that were confessing these things, they said that Baphomet is the reason why they got rich and powerful in the first place. This is the the uh, source of their uh, wealth and also the fertility of their crops and the success of all of their endeavors. Mm. So, you know... On the one hand, you could say, like, maybe maybe the, the crown heads, maybe the Pope didn't really get why they were rich, you know. Maybe they didn't understand banking, which, you know, they could just it. And they didn't understand how they created all of this wealth, how they were able to multiply their wealth through banking, through loaning out money that they didn't even necessarily have on hand. Right, um, like so a dark just, science you know, in think, a way. So they, they would have a hard time kind of get they, – they would almost – like that old expression. They would, they would kind of see it as magic almost. They, they didn't quite get how they were doing it. Exactly, and they, yeah, that's probably what encouraged people to think, oh, well, they are worshiping the devil. You know, that's, hmm. that makes perfect sense. But, you know, at the same time, um, let us not dismiss this because, you know, it's quite possible. They, you know, they didn't just come up with this idea out of nothing. And, uh, you know, maybe they did uh, contact something from the other side, some sort of uh, intel told them how to do this stuff. And furthermore, you know, it's always been believed that you can get luck and power from, you know, God or or any other type of uh, invisible entity. So um, I think that... I think it may be both things going on here. And, in fact, that's sort of the tactic I chose, that's the uh, angle I chose to take when I was writing about Baphomet. It's like, what if this is the power behind our, you know, what has become now the modern system of banking and the modern way of gaining wealth? And, because, uh, you know, as, as we discussed in previous interviews, I talked about in my Solomon's Treasure book, I wrote about how modern economics is alchemy, and I analyzed um, the whole system itself, how it works, and also even um, uh, symbols and images on the dollar bill currency, and I I demonstrated that they all reflect this idea of, you know, they have magical emblems of fertility on them. They all have, uh, or at least the, the dollar bill has things on it that indicate Alchemy, you know, it's yeah. it's, ta- it's telling you what where the power of the dollar comes from on the dollar bill itself. Mm, yeah, so, there's, a, there's a connection, like a magic, a magic and money connection. Yes, so I did theorize in that book that you know, um, since people in secret societies have influenced history, and especially in the United States, and especially the United States now has influenced the global economic system like no one else has before. You know, we're kind of playing the role in the world that the Knights Templar were playing in Europe back then. So I theorized, you know, well, what if there is this sort of secret of Baphomet, whatever you want to call it, this thing 
that's, you know, it's, a, it's the secret of alchemy, uh, making something out of nothing, of magic, and, and really it's the secret at the heart of the modern economy now. Yeah. You know, so I wrote Solomon's Treasure with that perspective. Then I wrote, a few years later I wrote, I guess, what's my most recent book, The uh, Money Grows on the Tree of Knowledge, where I kind of just took it a little bit further, analyzing this symbolism of alchemy and Baphomet and money. So, um, anyway, yeah, so, I... Yeah, so now we're at the, uh, at the pinnacle of the, of the search, if you will, which is the, as you said, the magnum opus that's coming out. And, well, and what's happened since, because I was on, what, 2011, like you said, mm-hmm. what has happened since is that Baphomet is, like, a big deal now, you know? Like, uh, really? Jay-Z I haven't seen it too, too many times. It's about Baphomet. Okay. Oh, well, no, no. You have to watch rap videos, okay? You have to watch, oh, okay. like, pop music and rap videos. I love pop music. You have to also then... Interesting. Like, modern pop music you like? Yeah. Like the stuff, Radio Disney? I mean... No, I don't listen to do Radio mean? Disney. I'm not, I'm not a tween. But I do enjoy, <laughs> uh, you know, Katy Perry, I guess. I'm trying to think off the okay. top of my head. Whatever's on the radio, I listen to the the top 40 station of the day, so I know what what's hip with the kids. I see. Well, you're <laughs> probably doing better than me. I don't know that much about what's hip for the kids, but uh, I, I this try. This about Lady right? Gaga. Have... Well, it could be about Lady You know, she's one of them. Um, <laughs> the thing is, is one of them. that the most, the most popular uh, conspiracy theory now on the Internet is this idea that all of these pop stars and rappers are involved in the Illuminati. Yeah, and they all, I've seen this. Okay, supposedly they all sell their soul to the Illuminati, well, to the devil uh, rituals. And in exchange for that, they get their wealth and their fame. And, uh, and then, so the people that are analyzing all of these videos and uh, records and stuff, the lyrics and everything, and they see all this symbolism, they see... Uh, all this sort of confessional stuff where the pop stars are are telling the world about the selling their soul, the pain of being separated from God, yeah. all of the uh, horrible things that they've had to do to get their fame. And the uh, conspiracy theorists, just about every one of these articles or videos about this subject, over and over again, they see Baphomet. They see uh, goat heads in people's, um, jewelry and sometimes it's there. Sometimes it really is there, and then sometimes it's just like anything that's a horn, a horned animal, or implied. They sometimes they see it in like the the grain on a on the wood. Okay, <laughs> you're kind of observing that that's become popular. Right? Do you really think that they've they've joined up with the with Baphomet, or or have they kind of adopted the the coolness of of how it's supposed to be taboo, if you will? You know, okay. Like, is it marketing or is it actual Baphomet love? I think it started out with actual Baphomet love. Because real, really, you see this with, you do see it with Jay-Z, for sure. You know, he he wears the T-shirts and stuff that have Baphomet on them and other, like, uh, Masonic stuff. Because he wants people to think, he wants people to think he's into the Illuminati, right? And he's got all he, I think little, he wants people to think he's in the Illuminati, probably, right? Not even saying, into it. In, in it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Is he, this is, he, I think maybe he started this. 
as far as telling telling the public about it, being open about it. Uh, yeah. And he has all these like little minions <laughs> that they I've seen some of them going into. Wiz Khalifa is one of them. Oh, uh, wow. Kanye West does it a little bit. I don't know. I don't okay, know. I'm familiar with some um, of these people. Yes. Yeah. Right. So, so weird. Yeah. Go on. So okay. So I guess what I'm saying is I think that this thing has really exploded. I you know, and I don't like to. Um, I don't want to be one of these people that thinks that everything revolves around them. But I honestly wonder if people would have put together this connection, really, of you can get rich and famous through Baphomet if I hadn't written those two books. Because I think that the whole thing kind of started to get spread around over the last three or four years. And I started to get these hits on my website, a lot of them strangely from Africa, different countries in Africa, um, where they're looking for... They want to know how to join Baphomet. Like they think that Baphomet is a secret. And then uh, lots of searches on how to get rich through Baphomet. So <laughs> um, I feel like people really want to know this now. And I don't know, I don't know that I can really give you a, a lesson on personal finance and how to get rich through Baphomet. But I can a- analyze what has been going on, how other people have used the symbolism and the ideas that are associated with Baphomet. And what it is, is I think it just really comes down to alchemy, because I think Baphomet really is sort of the, the living embodiment as a spirit of alchemy. Like he is, you could, you could identify him with the philosopher's stone of alchemy. You could identify him with the power that makes alchemical transformations happen. And it's not just me saying this. Of course, the Templars never wrote anything, you know, about Baphomet. So no one really knows what they thought about it. We only have pictures. There's some pictures put in a book by this guy named uh, Joseph von Hammer-Pergstall. He was an Orientalist in the 1800s. And he put up this book that has these pictures in it that supposedly came from Templar preceptories, from their properties, and yeah. uh, from their, like, their secret ritual chambers and stuff. And they're really mm-hmm. interesting. And they, they definitely look, for one thing, they seem to depict... Um, these types of orgies, sex orgies and stuff that they were accused of being involved in. And they look very much actually like, almost identical to the types of sex orgies that Gnostic cults were uh, accused of uh, engaging in, which is what Pergstall said. He said that he thought that the Templars got into a weird uh, Gnostic cult called the Ophites, where they, they believed that, uh, you know, the serpent in the Garden of Eden was the hero, and Jesus is really part of, you know, hmm. part of that tradition. So the idea is kind of that Baphomet was, is just part of a, a smaller tributary of a, of a greater stream, I guess you could say? Is that kind of the idea? No, 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 no. Um, okay, sorry, back up. Uh, yeah, well, let me get to my other my other point. It was that, okay, okay. we don't really know what the <laughs> Templars used Baphomet for because they didn't write it down, but hmm. the the tradition of Baphomet got uh, elaborated on over the years. And really, in the 1800s, I would say, is when it exploded. You had this Pergstall book I talked about, but also Eliphas Levi and this other fellow named Stanislas Guarita, I think is how you might pronounce it. Um, These were writers about the occult. Um, 
and especially Levi, I would say, really defined this thing. And he, I don't know where he got his information either. You know, he, mm-hmm. he, like they're writing from the occult tradition as though they just know this stuff. Yeah. Um, you don't know where they got it. But Elephus Levi said that this is, this is what Baphomet is. Baphomet is the uh, power behind an alchemical transformation or a magical transformation. That when you try to make something happen magically, this is the thing that makes it happen. And also that this is sort of the sacred wisdom associated with Gnosticism. Like Gnosticism is all about downloading directly from God yeah. uh, a godly wisdom. You know, and so it's not just knowledge; it's something sort of transcendental, beyond knowledge even. And Levi was saying that this is what Baphomet is as well. So it's like a, a downloadable form of wisdom, and it's a uh, a power, a magical power. So he's the one that, then Levi is the one that published for the first time these images of Baphomet that okay. are so familiar to people that look into it today. I think he based it on the Pergstall stuff, because in the Pergstall book where he has the images from the Templars, some of them show this being that has a goat head and then a human body that's both male and female. And that's, and wings also. And so this is what uh, what Levi showed. He says this is what Baphomet is. Baphomet is not just a head, but this is what his whole body looks like. Um, and that he's this kind of fusion of all different uh, opposing powers or, or um, energies. So that's why he's both male and female. That's why he's both man and beast. And then okay. you see him also, uh, like, pointing up and pointing down. He's got the waxing and waning moon on either side of him. He's and then, oh, yeah, yeah. And then going up his front, he's got a caduceus with the two serpents wrapped around a, a pole. Oh. So that, that, that shows the – that's alchemy. That shows the alchemical power right there. Okay. Now let me circle um, back to kind of what I was trying to uh, – I guess I was confused that – when I mentioned the when I made the the, the uh, tortured metaphor of the stream, so I guess what I'm asking is, we only really this Baphomet, as you call it, the meme, the the word, if you will, that that we trace that just back to the Knights Templar. That didn't we, we don't have any records of that floating around anywhere else in in prehistory before it emerged out of their camp, right? Not really, no. I don't think so. Okay. I mean, yeah, a lot of people have tried to analyze what the word means, but I don't think it was used before them. I, and, in fact, I think that Baphomet is something that they made. Like, it had uh, other elements to it that already existed, but they took them and mm. made something something that was created from disparate parts, like a, or like a Frankenstein sort of thing. You know, they, t- they take all these different parts, they put them together, okay. uh, connect them to this head idol, and then utilize it for magical purposes. So anyway, go back to your stream question or, or what you were uh, leading up to. Go ahead. <laughs> hey, be nice. Uh, <laughs> that was kind of the question, but I guess do you think uh, additionally beyond that, do you think that the – you know, you're saying you, they pulled it from all these different stuff. It was kind of a Frankenstein monster. Do you think the, the, the Baphomet idea and the principles behind all that, the alchemy – was part of just a larger, greater stream of knowledge that just goes back even further. Do you know what I mean? So maybe they took it and called it Baphomet uh, when it was also really, it was a lot of the ideals of alchemy that were parts of other stuff. Yes, yes. So I think that they got these ideas of alchemy 
from a Gnostic cult. There's there's also um, elements of, uh, for lack of a better term, because I have like several chapters about this thing, and I don't. Mm. It's really complicated. Well, let me. me... uh, uh, I would say that there's Islamic elements in it as well, and then this is what I think is key, and uh, this is what I, I would say is the origin of it. And Eliphas Levi is the person that really kind of figured it out. When he shows the um, the sigil of Baphomet that has the he- the goat head inside of a pentagram, mm-hmm. um, usually uh, that's surrounded by two words in Hebrew. It's um, one of them is Samael and the other is Lilith. So these are two. Um, Jewish tradition. They're, they talk about them in the Kabbalah, in the Zohar. Okay. Tradition. Yeah, well, this is key. This, is, this will help you understand why mm-hmm. Baphomet is both male and female, I think, and, and why he's a demon. <laughs> is um, Okay, Lilith and Samael, according to the Kabbalists, they were both two... They, that, those are the male and female sides of the serpent in the Garden of Eden. They're saying that the serpent was not really a snake so much. She was like a being, actually like a primordial, almost human being Uh that existed before Adam and Eve were created. And uh, was hermaphroditic, uh, described as kind of they're always locked in sexual union, the uh, Lilith and Samael. And so, but, but supposedly something happened to this being and they got separated, and uh, they can't have sex anymore because of some sort of damage that happened to Samael when when they got separated. So it says that they can't have sex anymore except through an intermediary, and they call the intermediary Tananiver. And I don't know exactly what it is, but I have a theory. Because originally I thought it was... um, you know, like a dildo or something, really. Uh, I was thinking. I was thinking about. I'm glad you um, went there before I had to. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, okay, you know about uh, Isis and and uh, Horus. How she, okay, I, Osiris, her husband died, but she still wanted to have a baby. She, uh, all of his pieces got the pieces of his body got torn apart, but she put them together and created this again a golem of some sort, a uh, Frankenstein husband for to breed with but he was mm-hmm. she couldn't find his penis in one that she used and somehow she was able to conceive her son Horace through that so that's what I was thinking when I first heard this I thought well maybe it was something like that but then as I read more of the traditions of Lilith and two things one that supposedly Lilith seduced Adam after he was created, and he, he, she was his first wife before Eve was created. And they had a bad relationship. She ended up uh, getting cast out of the Garden of Eden. And uh, after that point, she was very angry at Adam and cursed his bloodline. And uh, supposedly, you know, from that moment onward, she has been visiting the sons of Adam in their dreams at night trying to seduce them. She's a succubus. Mm-hmm. And uh, that she uses their semen at night to uh, to breed her own demons. Uh, My goodness. 
demons go on to to curse even even more men in the night. So this is one of the things Lilith does. Samael, meanwhile, uh, there's a tradition that he seduced Eve, that he's the actual father of Cain, and there's a whole bloodline that comes from Cain of like semi-demonic uh, human beings. And then there's a whole tradition in the in the Zohar of that there's several different, basically as they were saying, there's several characters in the Old Testament that are really Lilith in, in human form or that she seduced a, a, one of the patriarchs, you know, one of the main characters in the Old Testament, and then the, ch- the child from that is like a, you know, a half-demon child. So okay. there's, there's several characters in the Bible that you think are humans that actually aren't. They're actually partially de- demonic. So, so this is an Whoa. interesting thing I like that. to take into consideration that, that, for one thing, you've got the uh, father and mother of, of these hybrid races, and the point, and I think the point is just because because okay, there was a dispensation given to Adam, you know, um, by God, you know, a whole well, the earth, the earth, the earth itself is you know supposedly under His dominion and and the humans that are descended from Him. Uh, but but the serpent has a claim on that as well, an older claim, and the serpent feels uh, supplanted, and so. When it says in in Genesis that there will be enmity between the seed of Eve and the seed of the serpent, I think that really is referencing this this plot throughout the centuries to try to resupplant, uh, take over those positions of of dominion that the children of Adam have. Um, as I've written about in the past, I've written about in the, in like Merovingian mythos and stuff. I talked about this bloodline of David. I talked about all these uh, sacred royal bloodlines and how, right, right. for one thing, the bloodlines seem to go back to something more than human. Mm-hmm. And for another thing, that they're, they, the role that they have on earth, uh, ruling from thrones, is really something that was given to them by God. You know, um, whatever you <laughs> might think about it, <laughs> it's actually, you know, this role was sort of carved out for them. It's, it's sort of a continuation of of the dominion that was given to Adam. And so I think that these this serpent in his bloodline or her bloodline is also trying to get get in there and so that her his or her descendants can actually be, you know, in the, that position as well in the future. Maybe and uh at any rate, so or the Zohar has talked about uh, this Tananiver, this intermediary that allows uh, Samael and Lilith to enjoy each other sexually again, and I think they're talking about this idea of possession. That they can, these spirits can possess people and breed through them. And yes. so, uh, yes. So I think this is really um, may kind of get at the heart of um, sex magic too. You know, this is really maybe what it's all about. I think Eliphaz Levi may have very well been right that Baphomet is this uh, fusion of Samael and Lilith, and, it's, and that somehow um, the Templars were able to tap into that and capture it and actually um, utilize it through this, this, this symbol that is Baphomet. Okay, exactly. I guess, I guess to, to, to re-torture the, the stream uh, 
analogy. So, so really, it goes back. There's a much larger picture at work here, I guess, is the real point I was trying to make. And, and Baphomet is, is but one part of the whole thing. Right. I guess that's certainly true. And, and yeah, and what, and what the stream is, what is the stream goes back to the Garden of Eden and the right. serpent, mm-hmm. and uh, which is what everything comes back to in the end, isn't it? When we're dealing with occultism, especially Western that's occultism, pretty much true. You're right. Back to that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and this idea of forbidden knowledge, of of secret knowledge, of of ways of doing things, of alchemy. So it's it's all they're all sort of like running under the current of all this stuff. It's very. Uh, it's spooky, but I don't know why it's spooky, but it is spooky. So. <laughs> well, that's definitely the impression I got from, like, the confessions of people who, um, you know, supposedly had seen the Baphomet in the, in the Templar rituals. This thing really freaked them out. Mm. And, uh, like, but, okay, one of the things I wrote about in the Merovingian Mythos was the story of Berenger Saunier, the, uh, the priest in the town in southern France, Rennes-le-Chateau, who became wealthy all of a sudden, mysteriously, at the end of the 1800s. And, and uh, the story is somehow tied in with the Holy Grail, the Priory of Zion, the bloodline of the Merovingians. Somehow he discovered some sort of secret supposedly related to that. That somehow made him wealthy. Then he redesigned his whole church to, to communicate that message in coded form to other occultists who would be able to understand it. Yeah, the place and, uh, and then so at the end of his life, they brought in another priest to give him last rites and at his deathbed, you know. And so the priest goes in there and talks to, talks to him and comes out a few minutes later and, and refused to give him last rites. And he was like white as a ghost, the other priest was. And he'd seen something that freaked him out so much he never smiled again. It said for the rest of his life that he, you know, his he was just completely transformed as a human. And so I wrote in the book that I said, did he see the manifestation of Baphomet? Is it possible that this is what Sonier was tapped into that made him wealthy all of a sudden? Hmm. And uh, then you know that he tries to communicate his alchemical secrets of wealth through his uh, redesigning his church. And maybe, you know, when he was dying, the spirit started to overtake him and it became obvious to people who were in the room with him. The townspeople, you know, in this, this town is like a, a less than 100 people. Um, and they were all devoted to this priest. And it seems like they were all in on it with him somehow. Like it was a cult and he was the leader of it. And at the end of his life, when he was, when he was dead, they put his body on display in front of his house and all the townspeople came by and took tassels off of his robe at, at, to just get magical power from it, basically. Uh, so I think they may have known that he had this, this secret that he was tapped into the powers of Baphomet. One of the ways he did make money, I mean, there's some record of how he made at least some of his money, and it was through selling masses. It was simony. You know, he was selling masses to anyone who would pay for anything that they wanted. And it, it's like he was basically pimping himself out as a magician. And, uh, again, I think that we're, we're talking about this uh, alchemical power that the Templars were tapped into. Okay. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking that this is it. You know, that, I mean, the 
Freemasons, of course, they, you know, they've been through so much. They get accused of so many things. So they, you know, t- typically don't want to talk about, um, you know, the, the the fact that their rituals, particularly the, the Scottish Rite rituals, very much are, you know, are like a, a weird version of, of a, a magical rite and of a, of ceremonial magic and they do talk about alchemy especially if you, if you read um Albert Pike's book about about all the rituals of the Scottish rite he really starts to get into alchemy and he does talk about baphomet a little bit so i think that you know not not every freemason knows about this not your average freemason but i do think that that this is something that was really important to them too and i think that it was something that was known about by you know a lot of the founding fathers of the united states and also throughout the history of the united states i think that the the freemasons that were involved in designing the 1 dollar bill for instance and who were uh involved in kind of re Retweaking the economic system around 1932, 33, when uh, when they took us off the gold standard and stuff. I think that uh, those people kind of knew about it too. So, so then the question is, does Jay Z know about it? <laughs> I doubt it, frankly. Well, who knows? Maybe he's uh, ordered your books. Maybe he's listening right now. What's going on, Jay Z? Uh, the entertainment industry, you're talking about that whole thing. Actually, I'm, I, I want to ask you about this, but uh, I, I don't want to put you in a, in a corner here. But on uh. the website, you mentioned for the Mysteries of Baphomet Cruise that you're going to talk about for the first time ever. So you don't have to – I don't want you to give away everything um, you know, that, that you want to talk about on the cruise. But you say you're going to talk about for the first time ever your own personal contact with Baphomet and your experience doing ritual magic under his uh, tutelage as part of a secret order. That's just That alone is enough to make me want to go on this cruise. So tell us about the cruise <laughs> and then package it into what I just asked you about with this personal contact thing because that sounds like it's going to be mind-blowing. Okay. Yes, well, I, I guess I've talked a little bit about this in some radio shows, but the uh, really, I'm, yeah, I'm going to reveal stuff for the first time on this cruise. The cruise happens... Um, what is it, the 12th through the 19th, departing from New Orleans, going to several uh, locations in the Caribbean. And on board, uh, I'm going to be doing lectures on the days that we're at sea and stuff in greater detail, these concepts of Baphomet and the other older concepts that it's based on. Um, And then, yeah, like I said, just a little bit of my own personal experience, because honestly, this is kind of how it started for me. Why have I written so much about this topic? Um, I could have easily ignored it uh, and written about other stuff. And I didn't, and even though I knew about it when I was, I knew a little bit about it when I first started off writing about, about the Holy Grail and things like that when I wrote Merovingian Mythos. The fact is that uh, I didn't really... I didn't really pay that much attention. Like I just, I just knew that this was a story related to the Knights Templar, and I knew that, uh, you know, the Satanists and the OTO had utilized the image of Baphomet later, mm-hmm. 
Um, and I didn't think that much about it. It was just not really on my mind all that much. I was really trying at the time. Let's see. This started out maybe 2001. I was still in my early 20s. I was doing Dagobert's Revenge. I hadn't written, which is the magazine I used to do. I hadn't written any books right. yet. And I was trying to just explore this topic as, for, as far as I could. I mean, I was researching the Holy Grail, the mystery of the Holy Grail, Rinlay Chateau, and the Priory of Zion. Mm-hmm. That was my focus at the time. And so I just really wanted to know more about that. At the time, we had, we, by that I mean mainly my husband at the time, Brian Albert. Um, I was hooked up with the Boyd Rice, the writer. We were uh, writing stuff together at the time. And some, a few other people. Um, and we had this group that we called the Ordo Lapsed Exilus. And uh, other than agreeing to form this group together, um, and sort of announcing it to the world, we hadn't done much with it. It was the sort of the order that was behind Dagobert's Revenge magazine. You know, it was like an, a name that we used. Mm-hmm. Lorraine, the double barred cross. But, um, you know, we hadn't done much as a group. And, and so what happened was um, Brian, my husband, and I, we decided to use the Ouija board one day to contact oh, God. Jean Cox. We contacted Jean Cocteau. The, uh, the I can't French imagine artist. you using the Ouija board. That sounds dangerous. I wouldn't put this. I mean, this is the highest compliment possible, Tracy. But I would not put a Ouija board into your hands. You seem too smart, too uh, too tapped into this stuff. I'd be I'd be scared to do the Ouija board with you. Well, I wasn't. Sta- I I didn't know I was tapped into it back then. See, I could <laughs> I could tell. No, I could tell that there was some sort of spiritual influence on my life that had pushed me in this direction of the Holy Grail. And um, I felt like it was my destiny almost to to figure this thing out in a way that no one else had before. So maybe that's what made me think and try to contact one of these people who were uh, was the head of the Priory of Zion, supposedly, Jean Cocteau. So I you know, just contacted him to try to analyze, get some information from him about the Priory of Zion, about some of his artwork, that had allegory in it. And uh, so we did, you know, amazingly, we used the Ouija board, and it worked. But we weren't getting very good uh, answers. But you could tell, like, something was happening. I mean, like, right away it started working, which was freaky to me. Uh, But it was mostly stuff in code, like numbers and letters, and he was speaking in French, and the things that he was saying, he was indicating that he was having a hard time communicating, that this was hard for him to do. And, uh, but we just kept slogging through it. I don't know. We did like five or six of these sessions, just trying to get any information we could out of John Cocteau. Finally, hours. Uh, and this went on over a period of weeks. Yes, yes. Usually at night. Jeez. So, so, but finally, one, during one of these sessions, something takes over. And, it's like a different power than, than uh, Cocteau. And starts, all of a sudden it starts moving really fast. The planchette was moving really fast, spelling words, complex words, complex sentences. And um, just, I guess, to shorten things up, we got, we got told by an entity that we should really contact Baphomet with our questions. And furthermore, we were told that Baphomet had an interest in us and had, in fact, cursed us because of something I had failed to do for one of his minions. Like, there was this fellow I was working with at the time, 
Nicholas Devere, and I had promised to help him publish one of his books. And uh, Baphomet said that he was mad at us next book, like we said we were going to, or helping him publish it. Why and I said, so why do you care? This all comes from the Ouija board. I said, why do you care if we, if we publish Nick's book? And he said, because she is related. She, meaning Baphomet, is related to Nick. And Nick had, you know, all of his books were about his genealogy and how his royal genealogy goes all the way back to, you know, the gods of the ancient world and stuff. So I thought that was very, totally interesting. And then, and so what happened, what happened was like years, years of sessions with Baphomet. We, uh, we did it over and over again, and I got other people involved, and, uh, it almost never failed to work. There were some people that he kind of got shy around and he would only give kind of cryptic answers because he didn't like those people. He didn't want to say things in front of them. But mostly, so much of it was things that I would never have thought of in a million years, never would have figured out on my own, really obscure things of ancient history and uh, connections between things that, yeah, again, I just would not have thought of before. Um, so we got stuff about the real story of the Garden of Eden, for instance, the real story of the fall of Atlantis, um, Jesus's crucifixion. Um, I got I to jump in because this is like I'm, I'm, yeah. my, I got my jaws on the, on the ground here. Have you <laughs> re- have you released any of this stuff, or is this all going to be in the magnum opus? Because and uh, let's start with that. Let's start with that. I have a second question, but we'll start with that. <laughs> um, well, I'm gonna I'm. I'm going through the material now, and I've got to tell you, the hardest thing is deciding what to release to the public and what to keep under my hat, because, mm-hmm. you know, this is stuff that is precious to me. And, and also, all these years, I have an element of embarrassment almost. Like, I don't want to see people to think I'm like Jay-Z Knight or, you know, channeling Yeah, you don't Ramsa. want people to think you're a channeler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I understand that. Channeling and that's where like, all my information yeah. comes, right? I don't want people to think that that's where it all comes from, but, and it's... It's not really where it all comes from, but a lot of uh, my research in certain avenues did start out with something I heard from Bathman, and I would research it, and it would turn out to be true, you know. And um, so it was this amazing aid to my research that I I don't think I could have gotten it any other way. Mm. Um, and it still works, actually. You know, I don't do it as often as I used to, but. Um, as recently as a year ago, it was still working. Um, so <laughs> I still have this, this connection, is, I guess. Yeah, this is stunning to me. I didn't expect this. Uh, I didn't expect to go down this road. This is very interesting. I understand your trepidation about about the whole channeling thing because it is. It has a lot of baggage. It has more baggage than O'Hare. But you're a very smart lady, haven't you? Didn't you consider? How do you know to trust? the Ouija board. I mean, it just seems like even to get even deeper, what's your relationship with uh, this entity? Because uh, I don't know. I'd be kind of freaked out. I wouldn't trust it, but it sounds like you, you, you've developed a relationship uh, with this thing. If you're still, if this went on for so long, you know, it did, it did become like a relationship. I mean, it was like a friendship really. Um, And as far as trust, I would say I don't have trust really. Um, and I had to learn that the hard way because you can, this is the amazing thing, how easily you can get sucked into this. 
where, you know, when they're telling you amazing things that you wouldn't know any other way and you find out that they're true, you know, it's very easy to just believe everything that they say. And I, but I did discover there were, there was deception as well. Deception too. And also sometimes it was just, just to, to be funny. You know, they, he, he seemed to enjoy sending me down a wrong avenue, you know, or getting my hopes up about something. So I think that, uh, you know, everything that everyone says about the Ouija board and trafficking with demons, in a way it's true, you know, it's, it's certainly dangerous. Uh, especially because they, you know, they can just play with your mind and try to make you do whatever they want. And I would say that's how, you know, the whole thing of, I, I said that we got involved in some ritual magic related to Baphomet. Yes, he actually dictated rituals that we should do. And uh, that was really weird. <laughs> I mean, um, it, I, but I, it was a window into the way this stuff works that I wouldn't have had any other way. You know, so many people, if they do ritual magic, they join an order, they do the rituals that the order tells them to do, or they get home, and you got to wonder, well, who wrote these rituals, and how did they come up with this stuff? This is how you do it. I mean, if you want to get something that's real and powerful, you ask the spirits themselves, what do they want you to do to make them manifest, to make them do things? And they'll tell you. So... I think that this is how all of these really powerful cults get started. And you can almost tell. See, now that I've had this experience, I can tell who's channeling and who isn't. When I see something written, I can tell whether it's channeled or not. When I see a cult operating, I can tell whether they're really tapped in to something from beyond the veil or whether it's just some egomaniac making it up on his own. How can you and tell? That would so be good information for the listeners, if, if you can share. How, how do you... Or is it just sort of like a sixth sense you have that, you know, I couldn't do? Yeah. No, it's, oh, it's like, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a sense of, um, for me, it's like if you can see the light on things. You can see them shining, actually. Okay. Interesting. Uh, I don't like know how aura? to describe it, but, yeah, yeah. Think, okay. Things just pop out at me now, and I can tell that they came from a demon. Jesus. So and I, so, it, what's really interesting? I can see now, like certain um, people who are involved in the personal development field, people who are like you know, uh, do personal training, life coaches, people like that. A lot of them are mm-hmm. doing it, and uh, there's a lot of um, books in the occult genre where the writer writes as though he's getting this information from a book or something, but then he never actually cites the book. And, yeah, you can tell, well, he, he channeled it. So, anyway, yeah, I, it's been a really interesting insight into how these things work. I really think that a lot of the secret societies start out this way. And how it can be that there's so many Knights Templar groups now, supposedly, or groups that are descended from them. Well, and, and people argue, you know, which is the right one? Which one has the real charter from the Knights Templar? But it doesn't yeah. really matter if you look at it this way. They can go directly to Baphomet and get chartered that way. So there could be all sorts of, you know, legitimate Templar orders or, or descended groups that are still using the same power, and they don't need anyone's permission to do it because they've got the source. Interesting. This is this is wild stuff. I as I said, I did not. Uh, I, I thank you for opening up about all this. I was afraid uh, that you sure. you were gonna 
kind of put me off because uh, it seems like some it, – well, it's tremendous stuff. I wish I was on this cruise because I, I probably wouldn't let you get away from me because I want to know more about this. Did you experience – one of the big things that gets tied to Ouija boards and people that use Ouija boards is uh, – the whole like uh, poltergeist-like activity was it was it pure communication or was other weird stuff happening? Well, there was a little bit of there's been a little bit of weird stuff, uh, and actually happens more when you don't talk to them for a while. They they try to get you back. Oh God. Um, but so yeah, you know, like things moving, sounds, lights going on and off, a little bit of that. But mainly, I haven't invited that much into my life, I think. I've kind of turned it off, and I think that's why it's not overwhelming. Because I really did, we had such a, you know, friendly conversation across the table, you know. So it was, it was but that was one of the strange things about it. I, I remember remarking to my husband at the time, first time it happened, that, you know, I would have thought when this happened to me that I would be freaked out, but I wasn't. I was calm the whole time. And then the strange thing that happens afterwards is amnesia starts to settle almost instantly. Uh, And I would have to write down, yeah, I would have to write down notes immediately afterwards. I usually had someone as a scribe taking notes during the thing as well because you forget it all because they want you to forget. (laughs) Oh, my God. uh, You got to, yeah, I want to, like, dig into this material that was, that was told to you. You got to get this out. Is that going to be part, is that, is that the magnum opus with additional sort of stuff? Well, no, no. The, I mean, no. The magnum opus is like this major research project onto the Baphomet. Okay. Uh, but I did want to throw in some of this this stuff that I got directly from the source. Just yeah. Because, yeah, I thought, it's interesting, and I think that um, the world needs to see it, especially in the proper context. I don't want it to be, yeah, again, another, like, Seth Speaks type of book. So I just wanted to put it in there along with all of this other, you know, real – hardcore research stuff so people will understand yeah. the concept of Baphomet in a way they never had before. This is amazing. This is, uh, <laughs> this is truly amazing. I'm, I worry for you because I worry about this this, uh, this presence, you know, that's, that's in contact with you. Hopefully it all turns out okay. I'd be tweaked out. You're not tweaked out at all that, that this thing is, that you have a, an interdimensional friend of sorts? Because I, 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 I'd be scared. I, I, that's maybe just my own personal uh, fear factor. <laughs> yeah, well, who knows? I mean, I've had quite a lot of bad luck in my life. I suppose you could say this has something to do with it. I don't really know. And hmm. I kind of feel like I just want to get this stuff all out. Yeah. I want to get it on paper. And then maybe I can move on to something else. You know, this has haunted me for a long time. <laughs> and I just kind of want to be done with it. Wow. So well, you, you've been tasked year. by this thing to put the book out. Exactly. So. Oh, you know, awesome. this is what I dropped. I dropped the whole subject for a few years, really, mm. because I felt oppressed by it. Like I felt like the mm. demon was almost writing me and, and whipping me and trying to make me a slave to publish stuff about it. You know, yeah, that's what I'm talking and about. I was, it's scary, yeah. And I was just like, okay, you know, I want to do something else. <laughs> but but now, yeah, it's, it's come to the point where I really just want this stuff to be published before I die or forget about it or something, um, before I lose all my files somehow accidentally. Yeah, I could see yeah, something like that out. 2014 yeah. is the year that it's all going to come out. Nice. We got to spread this stuff around. 
Let's put it on the Internet. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Great heavens. What kind of radio show is this? Let's jump into some uh, some of the other stuff a little bit, because I want to hit you some, on some big stuff, and you, you can tie it back around, of course. And folks, we're, well, before we, as we get into the other stuff, before we sail into those waters, tell us uh, where people can find out about the cruise. You like what I did there? That was cool. Yeah, uh, TracyTwyman.com. You. you go there, and you'll, it'll be, I think, the top post is about the cruise. Uh, you can also go to MystagogTravels.com, which is the travel company that's uh, handling this. It you know, what, Where awesome. we're going, how much it is. I think so. I mean, um, what made you? What, how did you come up with this idea? Because a lot of people put on these conferences or other stuff, but this is really an outside the box idea. Well, it's more. I wanted to have a conference at sea. You know, I wanted to do this cruise thing because I'd seen other people do it, and I thought, wow, this looks like a great way to have a seminar. You know, where you can mm. everyone can. It's like a a slumber party almost at sea. And then I thought, well, you know, this would be the perfect topic, really, um, because, yeah, so many people, nobody else is really covering it. And this, this I think, is the year where people want to know about it. So um, right. yeah, that was just, that was, that was my idea. Um, I thought New Orleans would be a cool place to start, you know, because of the voodoo connections and things like that. It sounds awesome. It sounds awesome, and uh, yeah. it's going to be it's you kick off in New Orleans, and then you guys sail to uh, Jamaica, and then Georgetown at the Grand Cayman, then to Cozumel, Mexico, and back to New Orleans. And along the way, you're going to have all kinds of uh, lectures about Baphomet, tons of stuff, tons. I mean, we've only done an hour here, and uh, we could go for for six hours talking about this, and probably only cover what you're going to be talking about in the first uh, presentation. So. Uh, it definitely sounds awesome, and I, kudos to you for doing this. It's a, it's a, it's sort of a brave venture. You expect a lot of hip hop stars to take part in the event? That's what I'm wondering. Is like since all the, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it seems like that's where a lot of the interest in the subject lies now is people who know about that. So I'm wondering, if, yeah, maybe Jay Z will show up. <laughs> I hope he brings Beyonce. I doubt it. That would be cool. <laughs> I'm going to be wicked jealous if you get back and you're like, uh, yeah, I'm back from the cruise. Guess who I'm friends with now? Jay-Z and Beyonce. I'm going to be very, very angry. I'll have to, have to go on the next one. Now, I asked you when we, when we talked uh, earlier in the week to set all this up, I asked you about this Bitcoin thing. But before we get into that, let's just look at the state of the economy because you're kind of like my uh, economic advisor. Um, oh. And the last time we talked... You were pretty uh, down on things. We, we're still sort of uh, we're still floating along in a decent way, but the, the government's going crazy in a lot of ways since the last time we talked. They've been doing these debt ceiling fights. This, they shut the government down for like a couple of weeks. So anyone who says, "Oh, the economy's getting better," I don't I don't know. Be- behind it all, it seems like there's a lot of unrest and, and general weirdness going on. So uh, give me sort of your take on the on the state of the economy to kick things off in this part of the discussion. Well, you know, I mean, it's really kind of, yeah, a continuation of the same slow process of collapse that we were talking about, you know, I, which I think is still the, the case. I, th- I think that's all you can describe it as, still collapsing, and what they keep trying to do, they being, you know, the U.S. government, um, Federal Reserve, and uh, various international banking organizations like IMF, uh, they keep just trying to keep the 
system going a little bit, but mm. everyone's kind of admitting that it's falling apart at every angle, you know. Mm. So, I mean, the only the only positive thing anyone can ever say is whether the stock market went up or down in comparison to the day before. That's all I got. Right. It's like a football and, score. It doesn't really mean anything. Anymore. It, no, it means nothing. I mean, I don't know how much stock you have, Tim. I, I don't have any stock. No uh, my son has a little bit of stock in a in a trust fund that his grandpa made for him. But other than that, <laughs> you know, uh, I don't care. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm sure the people who have uh, who have some stake in it care. But but the thing is, all all that that is to me is, um, you know, capital goes there sometimes when it's not safe anywhere else. You know. But, like, you, there's no way of – you can't make money putting anything in a savings account anymore, for instance, you know. Um, that whole thing died because um, the interest rates are so low now, and it's been that way for so long. And it is kind of amazing. I, I would have – the one thing I would say is that I would have thought something more catastrophic would have happened by now. And I think that's what all the people who have been watching and waiting for the collapse are – they're just kind of surprised that it keeps going, you know. It's like right, right. dead horse that keeps breathing. It's like a chicken exactly. that keeps walking around after the head's gone. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's yeah, that's kind of that's that's part of the whole thing. Uh, you wonder. Well, I have a two-part question. First, you wonder if it's just this slow thing to get people into something else, and that's kind of where it goes into the second part of the question. Is uh, it's you're saying they're trying to keep this thing afloat. Are are they building anything underneath? Is there any sort of like backup plan? Is there any any fix for this that they're working on that they're going to slide us over to before everything falls apart, or or is a complete collapse just an inevitability at this point? Well, the United States and the uh, Western backed monetary system that the United States has historically been at the head of, and our currency has historically been the reserve currency of it, well, no, there is no backup plan. And that's why they're flailing around so pathetically. Uh, That's why there's a new financial crisis in Washington every couple of months. Um, But there are other other people around the world trying to put together a different system. You know, uh, China, all of these uh, axis of evil countries and places like that, um, yeah, the rest of the world is trying to put something together so that they don't have to go go down in flames with the dollar. Now, right. it's still going to affect everyone. It's still going to be bad, you know, when the dollar collapses, if it does. Uh, who knows how long the process could be dragged out. I mean, when they drag it out really long, it, it, you almost don't notice the increments as they happen. You've noticed That's, how... Yeah. That's kind of what I've been thinking, How, that they just they slowly ease us into being really poor, like a third world country. Yes, and slowly. that's been happening, and people accept it. It's gone to the level now where people really accept extreme changes as though they're gradual. We're getting used to extreme situations happening all the time. So, you know, if an item uh, doubles in price at the grocery store, that you'd kind of take that in stride. Um, well, I was yeah. just kind of going to float the float the metaphor that you know it's kind of like England. They used to be on top of the world. 
Now they're not, but they're doing okay. The people in England, they're like the most like Americans, maybe aside from Canadians and Australians. You really kind of wouldn't tell the difference, you know what I mean, as far as like lifestyle goes. And you wonder if that's what's going to happen in America, you know. We're still going to have movies and sports and stuff, but we're just not going to be the America it once was. And eventually, in a couple generations, people will just be fine with that and understand it. Like the people in England now don't – they're still a superpower, but – they're not running the show like they did back when the, when, when the current people in England's great-grandparents were around. Well, yeah. Well, it's, I think it, it's almost strange that you would say it seems like, you know, everything's still okay. Because they look out at the, the general public around them, and they think that everything's going okay because there's still commerce happening. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the news, of course, will, will portray make it look like everything's still okay somehow. So, you know, it's like unless there's a headline on the paper that says everything collapsed today, you know, people don't see it that way. But, you know, what's happening in people's individual lives, you know, how many people do you know that have lost their job and never got another one? Uh, Or they are now housing their own children or their own parents because those people couldn't take care of themselves anymore. You know, right, almost yeah. everyone you know, if you think about it, is now in a dramatically different financial position than they were before. But um, that is becoming normal now. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, all that wealth that got wiped out with the collapse of 2008, that, you know, most people didn't get that back. But we've adjusted somehow. You know, we adjusted to the idea that we're not going to be able to retire. Yeah, there's just so many things now that uh, that have become normal just in the past five or six years now, including true. extremely high unemployment. And it is extremely high. This is one of the things they lie about. They're always covering up the amount of unemployment there is. And basically, they're just measuring the number of people that file for unemployment uh, benefits. Exactly. So That's not the, the people who are underemployed or who have already run out or the people who won't sign up or, or – there's, there's, there's millions of people that are in addition to that number, right? Right. And, it's, and when it comes to um, people under the age of 30, people between like 18 and 30, we're going now into a generation of people that are unemployed. That won't, maybe we'll never have a full-time job. And oh, God. And it, but see, this is how this is how it happens. You have a, an entire other generation, a new generation, living a totally different economic reality than their parents, and way different than their grandparents. And because they're separated, they're they're not putting it all together, you know. And, and what tends to happen, o- older people tend to look at the misfortunes of young people as temporary. You know, oh, we all have to go through things when you're young. You know, you. You just need to work harder. You need to save more. Um, they think that the young people are doing poorly because they're lazy. And really, when you look at the, you know, the standard of living that existed in the 50s and 60s compared to now, it's just, I think that basically today's middle class is the previous generation's poor. So we're living like poor people lived in the 50s and 60s in terms of how much of our income is going uh, to housing and 
Oh, you know, I see how, what you're how much yeah. it's able to save, how much, and, and well, and then think about this, you, you know, obviously in, in the 50s and 60s, what percentage of households had only one income and they were, they were subsisting on that? Well, now you cannot do that almost. So there's, there's almost no house that has one income in it that's doing okay. They're suffering hmm. if they've only got one income. And, that, yeah, and I, so there's, there's a very easy way of measuring that a huge amount of wealth was taken away from the public. But because, because you just basically had, we transitioned into having two people earning basically the same amount as what one person, but it happened yeah. gradually over even, maybe even 10 or 15 years where, where you, know, you went from a housewife being a normal thing to being a very abnormal thing. Um, People didn't notice it, and they weren't even thinking about that at the time. They were thinking, oh, it's so great that, you know, women have all these opportunities now. And not really thinking about, well, why <laughs> do we have to have, you know, everyone employed now? So yeah. I, I think that you can, def- you can definitely see how economic deterioration has happened since the 50s and 60s in a gradual way so that people don't notice it. Well, now it's happening, and it's happening gradually, but it's happening very fast and in big chunks. But we've still gotten used to it. We've got used to the pace of, of uh, having things taken away from us quickly. Oh, yeah, God. so um, I, I think you would have to have some omniscient view of everything in order to really see what's going on. And no one does. I think that's, that's really what's so scary. There's no one in control here. I really don't think there's one overarching conspiracy. I don't think this is a controlled demolition. You know, I've theorized <laughs> about that in the past. I've thought about it. A lot of people have thought about that. But at this point, yeah. it really just seems like they're just flailing around. No one's in control. Every, and what's happening is basically the elite are trying to get their stuff squared away. They're trying to find safe places to go. They're trying to stash as much of their stuff in safe places as possible. Well, that's kind of one theory on the whole thing, that, that there's something eminent coming uh, that the elite know about. So all this e- economic problems and Fukushima and all the other stuff, uh, they don't really care about all that stuff because something worse is coming down the line. And I know that, that that's kind of real conspiratorial, esoteric sort of thinking that's been going on for generations. But as the pace of things quickens, it does make the, the little guy like me, who's likely to be squashed by whatever this big thing is, uh, have you know pause and have cause for concern. But what do you think? Do you feel like there's something on the horizon that beyond sort of an economic collapse... Like, you know, something, well, something bad, or, we just all, or am I just really super pessimistic? No, no. I mean, there's, there's something coming, and it is coming. It's coming right now. Um, and maybe there will be one, one big collapse, uh, but we know there's several things looming right now that would cause a wealthy person to want to hide all of their assets. And that is that it, governments are desperate. They need to make payments on their bonds, um, refinance all of their debt. And so we've seen in the past, whenever this happens, the governments always just grab whatever they can get their hands on. You, you see new levels of, 
of taxation. You see things, not just, not just a, a rate of taxation increase. You see new taxes and even just confiscation of things happening all of a sudden. Like in the 30s, it was gold. They took all of the gold from everybody and gave them paper in exchange and said, this is the new system now. And they made it illegal to own gold. So that's the kind of thing that I think the elite are really afraid of, is just someone's going to come along and take it at some point, and they've got to have it put somewhere where they're immune to that. Like a, a few months ago, we had this thing happen in Cyprus where the government just went in and took people's bank accounts from them. That's okay because Cyprus is a uh, tax haven, you know, and rich people put their money there to try to hide it from the government. So it's good that, you know, they finally got their comeuppance, you know. But it was really kind of a major violation of what people think a bank account is, that they think their money is their money. But really, if you look at the paperwork you sign when you put your money in a bank, that's not (laughs) – they they really kind of take your stuff. And you're giving it to them on on honor that you're going to be able to take it back whenever you want to, but – (laughs) <laughs> but what's been happening over the last couple of years is they keep changing the rules about that, even in the United States. You hmm. know, it's harder and harder now to take large sums of money out of your own bank account and to have large sums of money in your bank account. They're much more likely to uh, report you to the government if you uh, receive a large infusion of cash for some reason. And then they will want to hold on to that and maybe only let you take out a 1000 at a time. Yeah, and, of course, they it's think a, a maybe problem that probably yeah. you don't have very often – and I and uh, I don't I have say. it all that often, but but I've known people who've had that you know had that issue, and uh, so anyway, well, I think I think yes, the, the, that's what people are afraid of. Okay, is, um, all right. So so not an asteroid. I I was hinting at like an asteroid or a pole flip or uh, you know the return of, of 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 Satan and then Jesus. Any and you don't see any of that kind of stuff happening. It's more of a human uh, created concern. Well, okay, I don't know about pole shifts and stuff and things we have totally no control over. It's possible. I mean, for one thing, it's possible. If something like that was happening and they knew about it, then, yeah, I guess you're right. They would be busy building their underground bunkers and stuff and and selecting who the chosen few are going to be, and they really wouldn't care about managing the economy anymore. They they just left, you know, they've given up the wheel, if you will, uh to, to, to go under to start preparing to go underground. But I know I, I realize asking you that kind of question is ridiculous because you don't know if there's <laughs> going to be an asteroid that hits the planet or anything like that. I just mean I, I suppose all of this this weirdness could be there could be something underlying it all. You know, even to tie it back into the Baphomet thing. You know, maybe m- maybe it's all coming to a head as we said. It starts in the Garden of Eden. Maybe it ends you know in 2020 or something. Who knows, right? Well. You know, yeah, I mean, if uh, the, the elite of the world, if any, any measurable percentage of them are involved with Baphomet or something like that, that means they believe in heaven and hell, angels and demons, and uh, they've probably chosen the evil side to ally themselves with. So then you've got to wonder, well, yeah, what do they think about, is, do they think that Jesus is coming back? Are they thinking along those lines? You know, it's, that's certainly possible. I don't dismiss that at all. And uh, that would be an interesting spin on what's going on here. But, um, well, I've heard, but, I've heard the but, theory. Oh, go ahead. 
No. Well, I'm just. I just wanted to say that. Yeah, I think that all sorts of ecological disasters may may well be looming. You mentioned Fukushima. I mean, that's major. That's huge. You know. Mm, absolutely. And. Uh, and then, the, you know, we had the oil spill a couple of years ago. Who knows how many things like that are happening or about to happen that they know about. And I think that for a long time, the elite have had a gloom and doom attitude about life on Earth, which is kind of it's part of their disdain that they have for the population and why they want to eliminate such a large percentage of it. The way they see it, you know, their resources are being sucked up by all these people that are most, mostly useless to them, and they think that we are about to uh, extinguish ourselves as a, as a race. Um, for a long time, there have been papers that are, you know, published by think tanks that have the elite in them, you know, and and these papers so often talk about population bomb, you know, uh, the how the third world is going to uh, create ecological disasters because of how, how much uh, they're breeding and how they, they don't have enough food and there's going to be wars and, and uh, you know, nuclear war and things like that because there's so many people on Earth and they can't get along. And so the, the elite have been afraid of us, basically, uh, just fucking everything up for a long time. Okay. And I'm not on the air, right? I'm on a... Uh, no, 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 you're on the air, but it's just okay. on the internet, right? You're on the internet, yeah, but you're live, so don't worry about it. But okay. we're, we're reaching all... No, I'm not, F- I'm, on, I'm not on FCC rules or anything, okay? No, 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 no rules. It's been all of America. Um, okay. okay, so interesting. <laughs> all right, so... Well, that makes sense because if you had all the power and every, if you were the 1%, you'd be terrified of the 99%. You need to keep all those people in line because they're the bottom of the pyramid. So... Well, and you it also kind of understand that you, you re, I think you realize if you're really smart, you realize you can't keep them in line unless they're dead. So I think that's really the motivation uh, to depopulate. And it's also kind of what part of the attitude that may even lead to them just what seems like it's happening now, just not even bothering to try to fix anything. So that's what, at least in the West, that's what it seems like. The, the Western world, the United States in particular, not really trying to fix anything, just trying to keep limping along as long as... And, uh, you know, the, the current presidential administration, you know, i got to say it seems like a throwaway. Like, it's, they're not really trying anything. Yeah, um, but they're being kind of gridlocked by a lot of the... Uh the stuff in Congress, but who knows? That It's all a big show anyway. Let me ask you about the Bitcoin, because I talked to you about this before uh, earlier in the week when we started setting up the interview. Tell me a little bit about this whole Bitcoin thing, because I'm not sure what to make of it. it. It seems like they're ginning it up. I feel like it's some kind of scheme. I feel like it's some kind of... Uh, some kind of fad. Well, I know it's a fad, but I feel I feel I don't know what to trust with this Bitcoin thing. And as I said, you're my economic advisor, and I, apparently this thing was around a couple of years ago, and I should have bought it then when it was like thirty bucks, because now it's like a thousand bucks. But like I said, yeah. part of me feels like it, 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 it's 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 Beanie Babies. It's uh, those tulip bulbs. It's it's a bubble that that is going to definitely burst, I think, or. And this is where I bring you in to advise me economically. Uh, 
is it something else? Is it something positive? Is it something that could replace the dollar and the pound and the yen and all that and become some kind of global economy? Uh, you know, enlighten me to the Bitcoin thing. Yeah, I think that the Bitcoin is the new form of money. I think that it uh, has been a long time coming, predicted by people who are into this sort of thing. People who are into cryptography. People who are into science fiction. It's been the subject of a lot of science fiction books. Snow Crash by uh, Neil Stevenson is a good example of someone who predicted things like this coming. It's a legitimate thing. I mean, you know, the, the Knights Templar, when they invented the checking system, they, invi- they invented something that was useful, something that could be used as a form of credit. It's a way of doing things that, that no one had been doing before. Now, sure, mm. there's ways to exploit it which is in, and create a bad economic system, which is what ended up happening. But you can't yeah. go back to not having to, you know, no such thing as credit or no such thing as checks. Uh, now that it's been invented, it is, it's a thing that exists. And it's a very useful thing. And I think that the same thing has happened with these cryptified um, electrocurrencies. It's just something that was destined to be invented. Hmm. Um, I don't think there, I don't think it's a scheme. For one thing, uh, a lot of people are afraid that there's like something that is going to erupt at some point and end up stealing everyone's money or something like that. Somehow it's all going to collapse and it's all been planned ahead of time. I don't necessarily right. think that's true. Um, and then there's a lot of other um, versions of the same thing now. A whole bunch of competing currencies are popping up as well, which, again, to me, is just a sign that, yes, this is a technology that has now been invented and is now uh, proliferating. Mm. And I think that I think it's a, it's a good thing. For one thing, it's not controlled by governments, which is really the problem with the current form of currency we have. And there's nothing wrong with paper currency, per se, it's that it's all being controlled by governments, and they have tied it into um, debt and interest and turned it into something it doesn't need to be. It doesn't, paper money does not have to engender debt just by the creation of it. Uh, but that's the way they created the system to be. They have a, a government cops that will come out and, and arrest you under charges of terrorism if you create an alternative currency, oh, like yeah. people have tried to do the liberty dollar and things like that. So my my point is just yeah the, the the problem with the current economics the problem with the current form of money we have isn't the technology of the money per se it's the it's the system. So this is something outside of the system. Um, I think that the a lot of rich people are using it to hide to, to hide their money and to transfer it because you can now transfer money through Bitcoin without with you know just pennies basically. Um, Whereas, you know, anything you do in the banking system is based on a percentage and you have to, if you're going to transfer a million dollars, you have to pay a percentage of that to Mm, some bank, you know, it's expensive to move money around. Well, if you use Bitcoin, it isn't. So it's great. I think it's great. Um, I don't see it as something replacing the dollar, really, because that's not what it is. Right now, as an intermediary currency to make transfers, and it's also a way of hiding money. And it's, and it's okay. a speculation, too, because a lot of people are using dollars and other forms of currency to speculate in the Bitcoin market, hoping to make more dollars out of it. So, which is what you're talking about. You're, you're talking about you're afraid that um, it's going to crash at some point. Well, it has gone through many fluctuations already, 
And I think you'd be a fool to just put all of your money in Bitcoin hoping that, you know, it's going to increase in value because, yes, it will fluctuate wildly. And it's wrong to think of it in terms of dollars or anything like that. You know, it's a, it's a thing in itself. It's but, a whole different um, animal, it, so you don't, you don't, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, so, so um, yes, it will crash in terms of its, its dollar value. I'm sure it's not going to stay at $1,000 forever. But um, that just shows that the reason why it's uh, so expensive right now is because so many people are participating, So, uh, which is a sign, I think, of, you know, a lack of confidence in the system and people Absolutely, being afraid yeah. that, their mon- that their money is about to get taken from them. Also, people afraid that, which is something that's really happening right now, they're afraid that their Internet commerce is about to become way more expensive and complicated. Because one of the things that all of the governments of the world are doing now to try to um, get more, more money to pay off bondholders is, uh, you know, they're, they're going to tax all of the uh, Internet transactions that they're currently not getting a piece of. So... The internet is going to have to adapt and find ways of doing commerce without someone getting in the way. And I think the, one of the things I think is so great about Bitcoin is it's really over their heads. You know, these people in Congress trying to—they were considering pass days ago. They they decided against it. I think the reason why they decided against it is because they don't know what it is. They don't, they they've sat there with some geeks trying to tell them how how this thing works. And it's way over their heads. They don't even do yeah. their own email. So there's no, no so way they you, can understand you, what a Bitcoin is. Okay, you cut out a minute. They were trying to legislate Bitcoin recently, but then they decided they threw up their hands on it because they don't get it? Right. That's what it seemed like to me. Is okay, interesting. Yeah, well, it's, it, you, you wonder because it's like part of me, it's either going to take hold and become a staple, I think, like PayPal is, or it's going to be like a Betamax thing that – well, you know, maybe this will crash, and then um, you know, e-coins will take off, and that'll settle in it. But something I feel like is going to end up becoming like internet currency eventually, and maybe maybe we're looking at it now with this Bitcoin thing. Yes, it it may even change every year or every six months. Who knows? It, it, oh God, that could that could be. Well, okay, the Neil Stevenson uh, novel that I was telling you about. The, it was, you know, a dystopian future that he was predicting. It was written in the, I think, early 90s. But and he was predicting a world where um, government still existed, but they really weren't very powerful anymore, and hmm. cities were privately owned. Most cities were privately owned. And so as you're going through life traveling from one corporate city to another, uh, you have to do currency, you have to do transactions in whatever currency the the person you're dealing with accepts at the time. And so... Most of the characters would have several different types of electronic credits on their person at any given time to, to be prepared to deal with whoever, whoever they're going to have to deal with. And that may be the way it is in the future, you know, um, that doing business will be a bit more complicated. You'll have to think about how much is it worth, how much is it worth relative to other things, uh, how versatile is it, how expensive is it to do transactions, can the government spy on you if you're doing that you know so i think it we're going to have to adapt to a wilder uh, much different future than what we're dealing with right now but it's nothing that hasn't been done before because 
say, for instance, in the early days of the U.S., you know, or colonial America, I guess, before everything got uh, settled, you know, there were several different forms of banknotes going around, and, you know, people did business. In fact, you know, one of the... One of the um, reasons why apologists like to say oh, we needed a central bank, we needed government control over currency, we needed to have one dollar that everyone used. And they said, well, you know, it used to be so bad uh, when we're trading banknotes, sometimes the banks would collapse or the, 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 the value would fluctuate and you know, nobody knew what to do. Well, no, I mean, uh, people did <laughs> know what to do and that's just kind of a fact of life. That, yeah, um, yeah. You, you kind of have to you have to know what you're dealing with. You can't expect everything to just be handed to you. You have to know that you you know if you're doing business in a certain currency, that that value of that currency could fluctuate. The the bank issuing it could collapse at any time. You know, it's hmm. something that people need to know. I think. Well, I think they figured that out after the uh, big crash in in 2008, but. Who knows? Okay, so Bitcoin, I'm gonna keep an eye on it. I'm not gonna I'm gonna try and get all my savings back now after uh after I bought thirty five bitcoins. That's not true. <laughs> I wish I could afford thirty five bitcoins. They're pretty expensive now. Um, you've written about the the Royals quite a bit and then the last since the last time I talked to you, uh there was Royal Mania. They had the, the big wedding, Prince George came along. Uh do you see anything going on there uh, in the under Underbelly of all the the fever of Kate Middleton, Prince George, Pippa, any of that stuff uh, caught your eye as far as you know the uh, the hidden hand that works behind the scenes. The only thing noteworthy is that uh, Prince Harry went to Antarctica just last week at the same time that some people think they found some hidden pyramids down there, like ancient pyramids, some bosses. Whoa found it and uh they think yeah. so they think there's like an ancient culture down there jesus buried beneath the ice so i don't know yeah maybe there's some kind of connection i mean why was harry down there maybe harry knows where the uh entrance is to the hollow earth and he's going down there to commune with his lizard ancestors <laughs> i wish <laughs> that would be awesome interesting uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting too. Uh, you're about my age, isn't it? Uh, this sounds really mean, but uh, I mean, I was born in '79. I've seen the Pope change hands now a couple times. I was thinking about this the other day, talking to somebody. It's it's almost time for a royal family shakeup. You know, that Queen's been around for a long time. Uh, part of me thinks that 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 might be the next uh, next weird sort of. Uh, turn of events we might see. I'm not talking about next year or anything, but, you know, maybe later this decade or something. Uh, yeah, that would be cool. I'm sure uh, Prince Charles thinks the same thing. You know, he was um, complaining a few weeks ago in the press that, oh, you know, it's about time for me to retire, and I still haven't gotten to do my job yet. <laughs> do you think so, that he would be, do you think that he would take over, you know, if the Queen died, do you think he would pass it on to... Um, to his son there, or do you think he would reign for a little while just to just to do it? I guess. I well, I think he's been preparing his whole life to do it, and he wants to do it. I think the queen wants to give it to uh, 
the grandson. What's his name? <laughs> Not Harry. Yeah, I couldn't remember his name either, so that's why that's why I alluded to him. What is but, it? What, I don't what know. Is, what is that guy's name? I just call him How Kate Middleton's him? husband. I don't, that's all I know him as, you know, or or Pippa's brother-in-law. Brilliant. Really, Brilliant. is how I mostly reference him. Um, but yeah, I see what you're saying. Okay, well, she she, she yeah. wants to pass along the, the the crown to him, so maybe she's hoping that that Prince Charles will, uh, you know, slip in the bathtub, if you will. Look, the queen. Okay, the, she has always been just this conniving, manipulative woman in in her own. Oh my family. god. You know, <laughs> this queen? No, this Queen Elizabeth had a sister who she wouldn't let this woman marry the guy that she loved. And so the woman ended up just like, you know, just sitting there doing nothing her whole life because oh she couldn't. And why was that necessary? It was completely un- unnecessary. So, you know, the queen is always just meddling with the lives of, of uh, her own family members particularly obsessed with, you know, who they marry, who they have sex with, which is under, in a way understandable. I mean, I know that that's their, their whole public image and it's, it's important. And, of course, who they breed with is important because that's all they've got is their blood. Mm. But um, still, it's, it's weird that she would want to pass over Charles to give it immediately to William, who, you know, married someone who's supposedly a commoner, which I don't related to him. She's one of his cousins, like they all are. It's known that she has, she has a genealogy that's connected to his, so I don't think that she's really a commoner, per se, but, but it's strange why the queen would, would be okay with that marriage, but she wasn't okay with Charles and Camilla. Camilla's part of the whole gang. She's a relative, too. Uh, I don't know why the queen wouldn't let Charles have Camilla in the first place. But she's she's been so angry about that whole thing, you know, his his marriage and the breakup and everything. I think that's the whole motivation behind this. So the reason why she wants to bypass Charles is she's just still mad at him about that. She wants to punish him. And, well, it was but, quite scandalous. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no doubt. I mean, he was on... He was recorded saying that he wanted to be a tampon. Now, that's... Oh, we all we all have our bad days. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. I think that she's probably super mad about what happened. Do you think she liked Diana? We're getting into well, this is like this is this is like hairdresser style chat now. But do you think she liked Diana, or do you think that she wasn't a fan, or or you know, there's always the, the theories that they had Diana killed. So let, let's throw that into the bullion base of, of, of chat. What, what do you think happened with all that and her, her take on Diana? I, I don't think she liked Diana, and I think she had her killed. I, th- I, I do believe that. I think that's true. And uh, But I think she only wanted to kill her after the marriage was over, and in particular her relationship with Dodi. You know, I think that that's when she decided to – she really had it out for Diana. But uh, I don't think the Queen likes very many people at all. She seems like <laughs> – who, uh, you know, she really does look down on people. Well, she's the queen. Um, what do you expect? But when it, but, yes. <laughs> but <laughs> who, anyway, Charles, who, who, you know, Charles, you know, think, who but the queen should look down on people? The queen, by definition, should look down on people, I suppose. Exactly. But maybe Kate Middleton won't be that way. 
Well, that's, no. that's kind of what I mean in, in a way. You talk about things changing. Maybe there's a big change on the horizon. You know, maybe maybe a shuffle up uh, in the royal family could could uh, shake some things loose in the world. But because everyone sort of gravitated toward Princess Diana and thought that she was awesome and she was all all about helping people and landmines and sort of being the uh, the caring princess. And they've already latched. They've already really tagged this on to on to Kate Middleton too. So who knows? Maybe uh, maybe something weird might happen involving that. I get a feeling. Well, it, yeah. I mean, maybe so. Let me throw this back to one or something. Is she really? God bless her. Because they're not human. Now I don't know. I don't really believe they're reptilians, but they are. You know. They're connected to something, yeah. Interesting. Well, that, that, well, that, but that what brings we me... Say? I was going to... Well, I was about to ask you uh, to connect this back to what we talked about earlier with you and your connection with uh, Baphomet. Did this did this communication ever include any sort of uh, interesting predictions that maybe... I don't want... We're not going all... Uh, as you said, we're not going all Jay-Z night. I'm not asking for predictions but did it ever allude to things that would happen down the line? Because all sorts yeah, of we, con- communications like this seem to have those events, uh, whether they're, yes. you know, well, you need me to keep going. But let's hear what you have to say. No, you're right. I mean, once you start talking to these things, it's very easy to just rewrite the Bible. They're telling you about all of these events, including, yes, the beginning, Garden of Eden type stories, the flood, they want to tell you about that, and then they want to tell you about the end of the world. So mm. we do, we, there's a, a whole session that will be in the book forthcoming about the end times, Antichrist, the 144,000 remnants that will be saved at the end. And it was just weird. It was like, it was like talking to Satan. I mean, he was um, talking about this war that he was having with God and how he wanted to turn man against God uh, just to yeah. get back at him, basically, because he was angry about the, the favor that God showed to mankind instead of him. Uh, it was just straight out of Christian theology. And then, yes, there were predictions about the future, none of which so far have panned out. We were told that John Kerry was going to win the presidential election and then get assassinated within a couple of years. Well, Jesus, doesn't that make you then turn around and be like, listen, Baphomet, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you telling me these lies? How can I trust anything you say, even if you don't say it to him or it? Don't you say that to yourself? I mean, one, one, yeah. one okay, well, well tell, me, tell me about that internal struggle, I guess, that maybe you went through. I, well, I would. Yeah, so all, all, all you can say is that they are not trustworthy. So I'm not, again, that's why this isn't Seth Speaks or Ramtha yeah. Speaks or anything like You're that. Right. Okay. It's just a, it's just a, uh, a record of what happened. And right. some of the information panned out and a lot of it didn't. But like it was all very interesting. Yeah. Someone tells you, even when a disembodied entity tells you a lie, or if it's complicated enough and interesting enough, you know, it's going to make an impact on you. <laughs> Uh, so oh, even that stuff, 
even that stuff I'm probably going to publish it just so people can see the, the words that were spoken because it was all right. so weird. <laughs> right, right. The creepiest don't, don't, part, the creep. Yeah. The creepiest part was being told that George Bush talked to Baphomet when he prayed. <laughs> I believe that. <laughs> <laughs> my goodness. Yeah. Well, don't 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 mistake my my animated response here to be to be judging you. I'm I'm angry on your behalf at this entity. For 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 getting the prediction wrong, it's like, dude, what are you doing? What? Why you got to be that way? So, I'm, I'm, well, I'm fascinated by all this. I want to know. Pan out either. What's that? I said the lottery numbers didn't pan out either. Oh, you actually tried them? I mean, oh yeah, I asked for lottery numbers and I got numbers. You know, it didn't even seem to understand that you have to keep it between one and forty-eight for the lotto. Oh, it gave you numbers higher than forty-eight. That's right. So it was not not completely omniscient, that's for sure. Or either that or just not interested in telling you the truth. Yeah, he might think you live in a different state or something. Who knows? <laughs> it could be, to, to, the, to the demon side, they may just be like, that's completely trivial, you know, which I guess is it is. But, <laughs> but I would like to know the winning lottery numbers too, so if you ever get a chance, uh, pass them along to me. So we got, we got coming up the... Uh, the conference here. We're nearing the end of the conversation here, so I want to talk a little bit more about the uh, the big event, the Mysteries of Baphomet Cruise, April twelfth to nineteenth, twenty fourteen. Where can people find out more about that? I think you said uh, I, I don't want to get your website wrong because you got a few different ones going on there. So what's the best place for people to look? TracyTwyman.com. Tracy is T R A C Y. Twyman is T W Y M A N. dot com. And if you get it wrong. You Google it phonetically, and you'll still find it. Okay. So, uh, yeah, you just go to my, my website. It connects to all my other websites. They're all connected, so uh, it's easy to find there. And then you can also find um, several chapters of the Baphomet book already on the website. So uh, those are fun to read. You can do that. And then you can buy all my books, which I would recommend as a, you know good reading before you read the new one that's coming out in a few months. So, Merovingian Mythos, Solomon's Treasure, and Money Grows on the Tree of Knowledge are very good books to to get yourself ready for this topic. And another one I have only in ebook form, it's also on the Kindle, is what's it called? Hocus Pocus. Okay, Hocus Pocus is about uh, the Catholic Church and the priesthood. Interesting. So, but it's it's I think it's connected. It's very interesting uh, in relation to ritual magic, and, and I th- I think it taps into Baphomet a little bit. Uh, and the whole concept of the black mass, which I think okay. is connected. So anyway, yeah, we only have a few minutes left. I don't want to get off on another tirade there. But, uh, yeah, totally I would recommend Hocus good. Pocus as well. Hocus Pocus. All right, sounds good. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that reminds me, and since this is a live show, I don't usually do – well, I won't be doing the uh, the pre-taped intro or outro. And I want to mention, I want to give uh, give a solemn – farewell, I guess you could say, to uh, our mutual friend, William H. Kennedy, and I, I heard the news from you last week. Uh, he was on BOA Audio, I think, back in season four. Great guy. I still think about him from time to time, think about that conversation we had, and uh, was just heartbroken to hear that he would passed away. He, he had this sort of, I don't know if you ever talked to him, but yeah, he was on my show, and he, he was a really diligent researcher and, and really intense researcher, but also he had sort of this gentle giantness to him, This, as I said uh, on Facebook, this empathy, which, uh, I don't know, which really made him 
lovable in a way. And I'm really going to miss him quite a bit. And I wish I had kept in better touch with him. And, you know, that's really what, in a big way, spawned me to hurry up and get you back on the show. Because you think about the folks you've talked to over the years, and next thing you know, they're gone. So uh, Godspeed, William H. Kennedy, wherever you may be. Um, did you have much dealing uh, with Bill? Yeah, in fact, Bill uh, um, really credited me for some reason with his uh, the beginnings of his publishing career. He said I was one of the first people to publish his work because I published some of his articles with Dagobert's Revenge, and uh, and then was involved in some of his first books, like uh, Lucifer's Lodge. My husband did the cover for that book, mm-hmm. and I wrote an introduction to that book, and. Uh, in fact, he was the guy who got me into this whole idea of the cruise. He did a cruise at one point. He was going to start a whole travel company, and he ended up not oh, wow. doing it. But he told me about how to how to do this stuff, and he said that it would be a good idea for me. So that's how I got started with the whole thing. And I, in fact, had just a few weeks ago left a message on his phone because I wanted to know a little bit about how his cruise went. And he never got back to me. Oh, and in fact... Okay, he never replied to my email, and then the phone, when I called, it was disconnected, which has always been the same phone number for, like, 15 years that I've known him. Oh, God. So I kind of had a feeling something was wrong, and then eventually we found the obituary. And I still don't know how he died. He was only 49 years old. The obituary doesn't say anything about how he died. It doesn't mention his work at all, what he did for a living, or, you know, what he was known for, uh, with the public for. So... It's strange that, yeah, he came and went without being celebrated. Uh, I'll definitely miss him, and uh, um, I hope that his, I wonder who has the rights to his books now, because I hope that uh, they continue to be published. I know a lot of that stuff ended up going out of print for a while. So I hope that uh, someone's taking care of that. I hope so, too. It's it's sad. Uh, he should be celebrated. At least we can do our little part here and, and remember him because uh, it wasn't until I, I think it got spread around after after you posted it. And uh, I know I shared it, and I saw a lot of other people shared it as well. Uh, it, obviously, it did not get out there in, into the community that he had passed away. So um, very sad. I wish I had as, as long a relationship with him as, as you did. I, I, he lived in Massachusetts. I always meant to get together with him, but our, our schedule's never synced. Well, um I, okay, I I don't know everything that's going on on cable because I have a I have a limited basic package. I don't get most of the channels. Yeah. But I know that he had been doing a lot of work for Discovery Channel lately. Oh, really? It's a shows um, about satanic crime that were going to air. That he he was even on them. It was the first time they, he was actually getting interviewed and and shown oh, on wow. camera. Oh. So hopefully those are going to air sometime soon. And uh, he did. He also did a doc- documentary about Del Shannon, and he ended up selling that to some uh, major distributors. So uh, hopefully those are going to be on the market and available. And the the maddening anyway. part is we're we're going to have to keep an eye out for him because he's not there, and it sounds like there's no one really carrying on his his legacies. But but please let me know if you see anything, and I'll let you know if I do because we don't want him to be forgotten at all. No. Um, okay. Well, TracyTwyman.com is the website. Uh, I've really enjoyed the conversation, Tracy. Went down a whole bunch of avenues that I never expected us to look at. And please keep me posted on the new stuff. Send me the book when it comes out. I want to I wanna talk to you again about more of the stuff. And best of luck with the Mysteries of Baphomet Cruise. April 12th to the 19th, 2014. Folks, check it out at TracyTwyman.com. Thank you once again for coming on the show, Tracy. 
Uh, thank you, Tim. It's been a pleasure. And now let me just throw some plugs in here at the end. We'll catch it onto the live show as well. If you're just listening to this and you never heard of us before, we are Banal of America. You can find us at B-I-N-N-A-L-L of America.com. We're also on Facebook, Banal of America. Just punch that in. You'll find us pretty easily. The show you just listened to is free, but it costs me quite a bit. So if you could help us out, that would be great. Head on over to Banal of America and click the PayPal button or make a donation via the P.O. box. Either one of those would be greatly appreciated. On the next edition of the program, hold on to your hat, folks, because we are going to delve into a topic that most, if not all, paranormal programs are afraid to tread. We're going to be looking at the mystery of the Elvis Presley death hoax in a massive two-hour-plus conversation with Mickey Moran. That's all for tonight. Thank you very much for listening, folks. This is Tim Benall signing off. Until the next time, thanks for listening, my friends.